We started off a number of weeks ago looking looking at the book of Ephesians and uh, and one of the things we spoke about was you could break the book up in a number of ways but uh, really you can break it up into two sections, the, the first few, the first three chapters and the last three chapters and the first three chapters Paul speaks about the theology and, and the principles um, of our identity in Christ in who we are as believers when we say that we are Christians we belong to, to Jesus. And if we say that we are belong to, that we belong to Christ, and our identity is in Christ, then Paul goes on in chapters four to six, talk about what does that look like, the practical side of Christianity. Not because we are going to receive, but a life that is telling everyone about what you have already received. Not to live a life in order to get, but because you have already received Christ. How should we live? And in that there is personal responsibility and accountability. And as Graham shared a couple of weeks ago from chapter, th- from chapter 3, uh, there is the establishing of the church as the context here in Ephesians. And Paul starts, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Based on who you are in Christ, live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Well, who, who are they in Christ and, and what is this calling? Are the first questions we have to ask. And it starts in chapter 1, who they are in Christ. Saints of Jesus Christ, blessed with every spiritual blessing, chosen people, chosen to be holy before creation, chosen to be adopted children of God, redeemed, forgiven, wise, mysteries made known to them, marked in Jesus with the Holy Spirit, living with a guaranteed inheritance, supernaturally empowered, made alive, saved, created in Christ to do good works, brought near to God, have access to God, citizens and members of God's household, the dwelling place for the Spirit of God. I might have missed some, but I'm just going through those first few chapters, picked up on these things that identify themselves in Christ. Things that are not only true about the Ephesus church, but of Montmorency Community Church in 2017. If you, if you uh, join an organisation uh, or, or a sporting club and you have a job or you, you have a hobby Uh, you'll often need to conform to some of their rules and regulations um, and and to identify yourself with with who they are. If you were to come along and have an interview at my work and I was looking for a chef, um, I'd I'd be wanting you to be wearing certain clothes in order to be able to come into the kitchen and work. I've got... I've got uh, some things on the wall in the kitchen, some uh, statements. They say there's no swearing in the kitchen. There's no eating meals in the kitchen. There's certain things you have to uh, you have to follow if you wanted to work with me. You need to get me lattes in the morning, usually about six, <laughs> my first one. The last one about three on my way out. 
If you join a sporting club, you'll be required to wear certain apparel that will tell you that you play or you're involved in that, in that club. You'd be required to be at training. You'd be required to be at, at match days. You'd be required to be at social events in order to say, I belong. The MCG now has a whole list of requirements if you're going to be a patron there at a sporting event or a concert. They have a mobile number up on the screen that says if any antisocial behaviour, you can text the seat to the number. If there's a Carlton supporter next to me, I often text through. (laughs) This is not acceptable. I'm not happy. Recently, we've seen in Parliament lots of trouble for people in position in government for having dual citizenship and not following the strict laws and regulations and conforming to what it takes to be in Parliament and they face face the consequences. And while we have seen the principles laid out in chapters 1 to 3 about who we are in Christ, Paul now says it goes hand in hand with the expectation on how we are to live. It's how Paul continually writes his letters and there's no greater example than that in Romans. Romans is is like Paul's gospel and Paul lays out what the gospel is all about. And in Romans 12 he gets to that verse and he says, Therefore I urge you to offer yourselves as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable and pleasing to God. This is your act of worship. And so here in Ephesians, with all that in mind about who you are in Christ, you have this word therefore, or some version uh, might have then. And it says Paul urges them, just like he did in Romans, to live a life worthy of the calling they have received. Not to live a life out of fear of God or to live a life out of the fear of consequences, but because they have been and we this morning sit here and have been blessed in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing. We have been forgiven, we have been redeemed and we've been made right with God if we know him as our Lord and Saviour. Live a life with thankfulness and gratitude. Live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The the root word for worthy in the Greek, it, it translates or it paints this picture of, of, uh, of equalising the scales. To bring the scales so that even, that you don't say one thing and do another. You don't say, this is who I am in Christ, but you live the opposite. It's saying, live a life worthy of the calling. God has ultimately called us to be like Christ, to live holy, blameless lives and to offer ourselves completely to him that he would be made known to those around us and that he would be honoured, that he would be glorified through us. And in the Ephesians context, it's 
It's the beginning of the church. It's the, the conflict between Jew and Gentile. But the principles carry through time to today in Montmorency. And that calling, if you go back to chapter 2 and verse 14, it says there, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Jew and Gentile joined together as God's people through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jew and Gentile, both citizens and members of God's household with a common purpose and a common identity. And this purpose is is the calling and, and it's fleshed out more in chapter, in chapter 4 with more de- a little bit more detail. As we look at today, the unity, the unity in the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. Gifted people through Christ from Christ Christ gifting his church his people in order that his people his church will grow and be built up in love if you look in chapter 2 in uh, chapter 4 now in verse 2 it says there be completely humble and gentle be patient bearing with one another in love. I'm going to stop there. We'll come to verse 3 and, and 4, 5, 6. But it's, what do you say to a new Christian? I wonder what you say to, to, to someone who's a new believer. Some of the things that would come to mind are things that they need to do. Now that they know Christ, now that they belong to him and they can identify with who Christ is because he is in them. They need to go to church, they need to go to a small group, they need to sit down and read their Bible, they've got to have a quiet time, they've got to meditate, they've got to start giving, have to take communion, get involved in a ministry perhaps. And those things, those things are very important. But what strikes me is that most of those things are actually external things things that we can see people are doing and sometimes when we see people are doing things we think everything's okay they're going alright but Paul doesn't jump in and say now you know who you are in Christ 
I want to see you doing some things. He, he, he looks to the heart. He looks inwardly to the attitudes of the heart. Humility, gentleness, patience or, or, or long-suffering and love. And so it strikes me that humility is the first step, the first step to unity, to keeping unity. And where there is humility, it leads to, you might have gentleness or meekness. I had to look that up a little bit and I've heard that word many times in my life, but just to look it up to confirm exactly what is the attitude of meekness. It's an attitude that doesn't retaliate. There's an acceptance of whatever comes. But going hand in hand with that acceptance is also the courage to stand up for what is true and for what is right when it comes to the things of God. Humility, meekness, long-suffering, patience... The Greek word macrothumia literally means long-tempered. It means you don't blow up at little things. The short fuse, as we'd like to say. That you don't just lose it. These are the things Paul speaks of when he's talking to people that are saying they identify in Christ they're saying these things have got to be true of you and bearing love with one another in Matthew 5 very well known verses you don't need to turn to them perhaps just listen to these Matthew 5 Jesus said you have heard that it was said love your neighbour and hate your enemy But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. There aren't just just three types of, of love. And I know there's lots of learned people here. There aren't just three types of love in the Bible in the Greek. But as I was contemplating it, there were three that really stand out to me as well known or um, sort of the the general ones that come to mind when you speak of love and I thought it was interesting that as you think about their definition and meaning and use the word that is talked about here we'll get to in a minute eros, filio and agape Eros is a is a love that is a love that takes. It's a it's a love that is connected and 
used when when talking about about sexual behaviour and and uh, and uh, a physical contact and lustful contact. It is it is a love that is the world kind of love. It's a love that takes. Then there's phileo, filio. How, how, how am I going there, Con? Philia. Oh, I was way off. I'm <clears throat> sorry. But it's a love that gives, and it's a love that takes. Connected more with a with a friendship. And then there's agape love, and agape love is what we what we're talking about here in this verse. It says to love one another and bear with one another. It's not a love that comes to take. It's a love that gives. The world loves when shown love. The world doesn't show love just to give. That's not common. So what's going to stand out in our community, in our workplaces and in our schools and universities and and homes and families is not love when shown love. That's pretty standard. Even the tax collectors back in Jesus' time, the worst of the worst, can do that. What's going to stand out is how the way Christ loves and if that's true in us, then we are going to love not looking to take, but just looking to give. It's this giving love, bearing with one another in love, this love that comes to give, which is paramount in keeping unity in the Spirit. You may notice it doesn't say that we come to create unity. It doesn't say that we are told to make unity or to start unity from scratch. In fact, we are told to keep the unity because the unity is actually a God-given thing. God started it. Before there was anything, there was God the Father, Son and Holy Spirit in unity. It says make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. In fact, not only are we not told to start unity or create unity, unfortunately what we can do is destroy unity with sin. And so these characteristic traits of a Christian are here to keep the unity of the Spirit. And Paul goes on and reminds them, there is not a Jewish faith and a Gentile faith. There's not a Jewish God and a Gentile God or a Jewish baptism and a Gentile baptism. There is one body, one Spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. 
come to verse 7 it says there I'm just going to read a few verses here and then we'll just come back to it but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it this is why it says when he ascended on high he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe it was he who gave some to be apostles some to be prophets some to be evangelists and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ Uh, grace is a is a Sunday school term isn't it it's one that you learn if you if you were fortunate and blessed and uh, well enough to be able to be here and in a church and grow up and be able to learn about the things of God as a little one grace is a word that you'll learn about very early on and grace by definition is an act of giving but its emphasis is not on the one receiving but the one that is giving and grace is at the very heart of the gospel and is an expression of what God does there is no grace unless there is an act of giving because that's what grace is it's very basic to its definition for by grace you have been saved it says in earlier in Ephesians by grace you have been saved it is a gift from God it's the character of grace to give it's not dependent upon the receiver it's dependent only on the giver you not receiving doesn't change the fact that there is grace being shown But I feel like a little bit deeper is this understanding of of a self-giving God when we speak about the grace of God. That is not just an act of just giving, but when we speak about the grace of God, the unending love, amazing grace, we're speaking about the act of a self-giving God. That he gave his son to die. Jesus came, it says, not to be served but to serve, not to receive but to give. Those who hunger and thirst, Jesus didn't say just pop down to church and do X, Y, Z. He said, I am the bread of life. I am the living water. Jesus gives himself that's his grace unearned undeserved and Jesus said there is darkness in you he said I am the light I'm giving you myself people don't know and don't understand and are ignorant to the truth Jesus said I am the truth people don't know the way Jesus said I am the way 
people who are dead, Jesus said, I am life, I am resurrection. And he gives of himself. This undeserved, unearned gift is God giving of himself to us. The heart of Christianity is a self-giving God coming into the life of a sinner in order that they'd be a changed people. As I thought about that this week, what are people seeing then in, in me of God? If God is giving me himself, is it pouring out in my life? Is it pouring out in the life of this church, into this community? People look in at 24 Mayona and see Christ who gives himself to his people here. Is it pouring out of us into this place? The grace of God being seen in us must be genuine and real a people that come together not to receive but to give. You know, you don't, if you come to my work, I don't know what it's like at your workplace or at your school or at your house and your community. That's not the norm. People don't come to just give. When I was in TAFE doing my apprenticeship training, it wasn't the norm. In the sporting clubs I've been involved in, in all the workplaces I've seen, that's not the norm. People don't come together to give. People love to receive. But if we have Christ... Christ has given himself for us. So how is that now seen by the people that are living around us and looking at us? Coming together to give. If it's not true of the world, it should definitely be true of God's church. Is undeserved, not earned, self-giving grace. Verse 7, For each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Uh, it might have given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. And here is a statement about individual gifts from Christ, gifts for individual people. And a few verses later it talks about the gifts of Christ to the total church, to lead the church, to set up the church and prepare the church for growth and maturity. And in the, and in the middle there, there's a, a section of prophecy from Psalm 68 speaking about the authority of Christ 
and the way in which he gives these gifts. There is no such thing as an ungifted believer. There is no Christian who has missed out on a gift from our Saviour. You not only see that here, but in Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12, we don't earn a gift from God. It is by his grace that he gives gifts to his people. Christ then has has granted every Christian, based on his grace, a gift. And you notice the word, you might have portion or measure. And it's from the Greek word metron, which we get metric or meter and it has to do with, with a quantity uh, with, with limitations and capabilities and what I can tell you this morning and what has struck me is that each and every person who belongs to Jesus Christ is unique each and every person who belongs to Jesus is gifted and is required in the body. You are not only unique with DNA and fingerprints and, and, and voice, which are all from God, but you are unique in the gift that he has given you so graciously in order for the church to function. And the giftedness is not earned. It's not deserved. It's a gift from God. Church is not for spectators, is it? God has graciously gifted his people and out of love we are to come together to give. And of course we're going to receive, but that's not why we come. Christ gives with authority and the easy answer is to say it's on God's authority because Jesus Christ is God. He is the creator of all things, the sustainer of all things. Psalm 68 is is where these verses come from. It's a song of, of victory written by David, uh, a song probably written around the time of 2 Samuel 6 where David brings the Ark of the Covenant back to Mount Zion and into Jerusalem. And in that time and even more so in the, the Roman Empire time when a king would, would lead, a, lead a procession coming back home with victory there they would have prisoners who would be chained up from the enemy and he would ha- and there would be those who were prisoners who were coming home and it would be a big deal everyone would be out to see what was happening and to celebrate and there would be gifts given to the king or the leader of the, the army who was coming back. And it was quite common that they would then pass those gifts on to the soldiers who had fought and to those others around them. 
So you can start to see the imagery. When it says he leads the captive, the captivity captive or the captives in his train, an expressive, descriptive picture of Christ conquering and having victory over Satan and all the principalities and powers. In his death on the cross, his burial and his resurrection, there is victory. We are saved by God's grace, undeserved gift, but also in the church, in his body, we are called to be used by him with the giftedness he's given us. To see the body grow and mature. To say that now is a time for me to do nothing and and relax and be a spectator is, is not right. Quite frankly, it's not biblical. And what I read is that it is an insult to the victory of Jesus in gaining the right to rule and be head of the church, an insult to the price that he paid to be victorious and by his grace gift his people. Christ has not only given gifts to those in the church to see it function and to see people grow and mature, but he has gifted the whole body. But he has gifted uh, uh, the whole body with people to prepare God's people for works of service. So apostles and prophets, they, they were the communicators of God's truth. To his people. In Acts 2, it says that the new believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In Ephesians 2 and 19, it says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. They were the trusted communicators of the word of God, the writers of the New Testament. They laid a teaching foundation on which people came to know the truth of the gospel and came to trust in Jesus Christ. And they started churches, all with Jesus as the cornerstone, joining God and man the head of the church. Some to be evangelists, pastors and teachers, people that are gifted by the grace of God to lead, to build up and to grow, that we would no longer be infants, but we would be a people prepared, prepared for God's service. It's a great responsibility on on those people to lead the church, 
It's a great responsibility to be accountable to God and to live according to his grace. And it is also a great responsibility for the church, his people, to respect the people of that calling and giftedness. Christ has given all of himself, all of himself, not only that we would be saved by grace, but that as his church, we would be gifted by his grace to be led and to grow and mature. Walking in unity starts with humility and it's a walk that recognises the gifts of God that have been graciously given both to the individual and to the body. To close in prayer, would you bow your head and close your eyes? And as a and as a closing prayer, I just want to read from Ephesians three twenty twenty one. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you.